Welcome to E2T Adventures. Explore, experience, thrive, be adventure. Where we're celebrating all women in the outdoors as we change the gear industry to fit all women's needs. Hi, I'm Marcy Nelt, and this is E2T Adventures, where we talk about going after all the things in the outdoors that we love to do and give you the knowledge and the gear in which women can thrive the most in the outdoors. Now, one of the things that I find completely important to keeping our energy up, avoiding injury, feeling good in the outdoors is nutrition. And so I've asked my dear friend, Alora Frederick, who is a registered dietitian and who focuses on integrative and functional nutritional models so that people can feel their most amazing to come on the show and to talk to us about female bodies, nutrition, and how we can best function in the world. Thank you so much for being on the show, Laura. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here and to talk about this because it's such a broad topic and there's so much to be covered. Um, and just for clarification for people that may not know what functional and integrative really mean in this context, functional medicine or functional dietetics simply just means that we have various systems in our body, right? So it's not just the cardiovascular system or just the hormonal system, but they all interact and feed off of each other. And so functional medicine is looking at that relationship of all of these systems and how they interact. Integrative is looking at both traditional allopathic Western medicine approaches and also some alternative modalities, more traditional, like uh, traditional Chinese medicine or herbs or acupuncture or even non-Chinese based medicines, alternative practices and finding a middle in between. So we're integrating the two modalities. So that's just clarification on that. But yeah, very excited to be here. <laughs> that was going to be my first question for those that did not know what it meant. So you just like read my mind perfectly. I love it. Um, Allura and I have that anyways. We can just look at each other and know what each other's brain is thinking. It's a wonderful thing. Um, so the way you're talking about nutrition is very different from what media and even going to the doctor has really put out there. You know, if you look back to, you know, the pyramid, the food pyramid and the diet industry where it's like, okay, everything is about getting smaller um, and like losing weight and that's supposed to be what health is. And everybody seems to have a different program. Like, oh, there's keto. Oh, there's this diet. And like, we've gone through the zone. We've gone through, you know, so many different things out there. Now it's a lot about keto and intermittent fasting. But what you're talking about is almost that everybody is different and yeah. that nutrition is not one size fits all. So talk to me about those things. Well, that's it. End of discussion. You just said <laughs> um, Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack there. So I think, yeah, more conventional nutrition dietetics is very much like focus on your macronutrients which are important right focus on calories in calories out look at this pyramid which by the way nobody knows how to interpret that pyramid because it's not very applicable to what we're eating on a plate which is why uh it's now been changed to the my plate so it's a visual representation of the plate so yeah that's more um black and white thinking right it's not nuanced there's no um individual application. 
And then we have the media, which all nutrition information that gets filtered through the media is at some point coming from research. But what happens is media extrapolates little taglines and like, you know, attention grabbing uh, sentences or components from research and then blows it up, uh, even though it may not be a 100% truthful. And so that can be very confusing. And I think that adds to a lot of people's discouragement about nutrition is because there's so many different opinions. And literally one week you'll see a headline that's like, coffee is terrible for you. And then the next week you're like hearing coffee is the most amazing thing. You'll, it'll make you live to your hundred. And right. So there, there's nuance to that in that these statements have been extrapolated from research. But if we're constantly changing the narrative of what is good or what is healthy, then we're always going to have this perpetual confusion. Then we add on top of that, claiming that specific diets are a one size fits all, that they are the miracle cure, that they work for everybody. That's even more confusing and more troublesome because it's just not the truth at all. And that goes back to that functional model of every single person's individual systems in their body is going to respond differently to food because of their biology, because of their gen genetics, because of their environment, because of their stress levels. There's many, many factors. So keto, intermittent fasting, which are really popular right now. Um, yeah, there's a lot of research behind them. Keto was first developed for children with epilepsy. How did it become that it's like the golden standard? Yeah, for fat loss. Because it became a New York Times bestselling book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So sure, yeah, there, I'm not going to sit here and say something is bad or good because nothing is that black and white. Yes, there is an ounce of truth to the fact that the keto diet may help you lose weight. Yes, there is an ounce of truth to the fact that intermittent fasting can have and does have many benefits. Does it mean that it works for every single person? No, not at all. And especially the intermittent fasting, because the majority of the research on intermittent fasting was on white men. Shocker. So what I see in my practice is a lot of women, um, especially like menopausal women that are coming to me and saying, my husband did intermittent fasting and he lost 20 pounds and he feels great. His energy is amazing. I am gaining weight. I feel hungry. I don't feel energized. And that's because intermittent fasting is not always appropriate for women. And that's because any type of fasting is an additional stressor on our body. So if your baseline is a high level of stress, right? So just transitioning from being um, menstruating to going into menopause is a stressor on the body. We are literally changing from converting the majority of our sex hormones from our ovaries to an entirely separate gland, our adrenals. Think about that. Like that's a huge undertaking for the body. Not to mention the fact that we all work. We all are in a pandemic. Are we sleeping well? There's so many other layers of stress. And then we add fasting on top of that where we are literally restricting the amount of food we eat, only eating a certain amount of time. It stresses the body out even more. Any stress is going to put our metabolism into uh, like fight or flight mode where it's saying, 
or it's receiving the message, there are not enough resources. I am under stress. It is not safe for my body to lose weight. It is not safe for me to prioritize this. I need to prioritize holding on to these fat stores, holding on to these nutrients because my nutrient reserves are not, they're being depleted and there's not enough of them. So I could go on and on about intermittent fasting, but essentially, but essentially, yeah, like that's the essence of it is that nothing is going to be a one size fits all. And it's totally individual. has to be individual. It's especially, you know, I, I've grown up being an athlete, like you have, Alora is a beautiful dancer and a rock climber. And it's like, when you grow up in the dance world or you grow up in athletics, quite often you're being told to be smaller. They want you as small as possible. And when we look at the fashion industry and definitely the gear industry, it's like they took something that was for men and they shrunk it and they made it pink. And so all these women go to put on gear and they're like, oh, I'll fit in this if I lose 20, 30 pounds. So there's always this mentality, especially for women, to constantly think I'm too big or, you know, and for someone who can't gain weight, I'm too small, I look weak. So there's never this comfort in who we are in our bodies. And now like something you said about, you know, just switching over to menopause or all the stress we put on it. Now, when you talk about being an athlete, or being active on weekends. Like you've gone all week with work and now you're gonna go out and paddle. You're gonna go out and surf. You're gonna go out and hike. And if you're in a mentality of, I'm trying to lose weight, the way the media, food is about, food is like bad, losing weight good. And like, that's the subconscious message constantly. So now we're adding hiking a 4,000 footer or mountain biking as that stress on the body And no one's really talking about how to fuel all that we do in life. Instead, we're talking about how to lose fat. And it's interesting that you, what you said was the more stress you put on the body and the less nutrition you put in, the more the body's like, let me hold on. And that's absolutely the opposite of the thinking. Yeah. It's the opposite of what we've been told. It's the opposite of what women hear specifically. Um, and it's not to say that those principles of how the metabolism and metabolic response works don't apply to men. It does too, but they can get away with it a a little bit more than women. So for a man that is pushing it hard at the gym, restricting calories, intermittent fasting, pushing himself, he may find that he gets those gains and gets the outcomes he's looking for. For women, it just like, it backfires. So it's the opposite that like you hear in general, and it's the opposite that women hear. Um, and then it really takes a psychological toll because imagine if you're somebody that works out five days a week, you create, create this arbitrary calorie mark of like, I only eat 1200 calories per day. I'm going to come back to that because I've lost say about 1200 calories. <laughs> um, you know, I do all the right things. Why am I not able to meet my goals, whatever they may be? And then if you try to share this with a friend or you share it with a practitioner or you share it with a guy, not that I'm man shaming or anything or man hating. We love our Um, men. We're totally okay with that. 100%. It's just the reality because like, think about it. Their experience is that, oh, cutting calories and exercising more works. 
So of course that's what they're going to say when you come to them and say, I'm not meeting my goals. And so anyways, you hear this and then you're like, I don't get it. And you're spiraling. And it's like, how much more can you restrict? How much more can you push yourself? And then, you know, I have clients that come to me and they're at that breaking point and their minds are blown when I'm like, your homework is to cut down your exercise, maybe like once a week, if you have the energy, maybe like you don't even have to, maybe just go for a walk. And also I need you to eat a lot more. (laughs) And they're like, like what? Um, So yeah, that's, that's a huge takeaway is that really, if you want to support, and I'm not just talking about weight loss, if you want to support metabolic health, you have to nourish and you have to honor not overdoing it with the stress, whatever that looks like. Take um, a tally of the amount of stressors you have in your life. If you know an upcoming week, you have a big report to get out at work and family staying with you, maybe don't push it and do extra exercise you know, how much stress are you holding and really try to honor that so that you're nourishing your metabolism. And when I talk about healthy metabolism, you want to have the ability to, to be flexible with your metabolism, meaning that when you have periods of eating a little bit less, because this just happens, you know, like sometimes we're busy or sometimes it's summertime and the weather suppresses our appetite a little bit because it's hot. We're just not eating as much. You want a flexible metabolism where if you eat a little bit less than normal, you you stay baseline. Like you don't lose weight too much or you don't gain too much weight. Or when you have periods opposite of that where you're overindulging maybe, or I don't even want to say overindulging because it's not about indulgence, but just consuming more than you do baseline. So let's say maybe like holiday time, for example, you shouldn't have a huge weight fluctuation or a huge weight loss or dips in energy. Your metabolism should be able to compensate for those dips because we're, we're always changing. Having consistent calorie intake is not only unrealistic, it's just not how our bodies are designed to be. So that's what we're really striving for is that metabolism flexibility and how do we get there? We get there by baseline, trying to reduce stress and nourishing with enough food. (laughs) So this is absolutely, like we said before, the opposite. So how hard is it for women that come to you? Oh, and I'm I'm thinking about all the athletes out there that are just like, you know, I can't lose weight. Like I've got this bubble around my stomach because that's where athletes will usually tend to gain it. Even if that they're not like apple shaped. Um, And so how hard is it for so many women, like I'm thinking for myself, like I work out all the time because I love it and I'm very active. Putting the food in that I'm supposed to is extremely difficult. And like I have spent since I was a young girl, like trying to diet off my curves or be less and like coming to this place of being like, I'm going to love my body where it is. But there's still that mentality of like, what do you mean you want me to eat more? What do you mean you want me to work out less? And that this is going to heal my metabolism. And I'm sure a lot of women out there listening to this are going to be like, what? So how do you work through, instead of thinking about weight loss or weight gain, how do you work through figuring out how to actually support your body and your metabolism and like changing that mindset so that you're working with your body instead of fighting with your body. 
that makes sense <laughs> what I'm asking? Yeah, yeah. It just was skipping a little, so I was waiting, but I think we're good okay. now. Um, yeah, it's challenging. It's not easy. And I don't think it's something that should be done alone because we have these belief systems so deeply ingrained. You know, like you have been an athlete almost your whole life. I started dancing at the age of four. We have, and a lot of other women, right? We have these deeply ingrained belief systems of, like you said, either become smaller or whatever it is, maybe become larger. And so every action we've taken in our life thus far has been to support that belief system. And so now if we're just flipping the narrative and saying, oh, actually like I can take up space or I can do these things to nourish myself deeper, we're gonna have an immediate um, block. Like we're, we're just not gonna be able to do it. So doing it alone is, is really challenging and it's not gonna happen overnight. It's such a learning process. I think working with practitioners is great working with, um, whether that be a dietitian or um, just a regular mental health therapist or having um, a buddy, you know, like a friend that has the same goals, an accountability buddy, and talking to them about that. But um, there are some great resources. And I guess if we want to label what this branch of like eating psychology is, it's called intuitive eating, yeah. which um, yeah, is essentially going back and figuring out what your body intuitively needs, which is not easy, right? Because we, from the get-go, have been fighting our cues. We've been fighting our hunger cues. We've been fighting against our cues of energy depletion. We've just completely got our wires crossed. And so to like untangle all of that and get back to the fundamentals is challenging, but that's why it's so helpful to work with a practitioner that can um, pick up on those cues, you know, like sometimes people will come to me and be like, yeah, so I, I'm just trying to think of like a real world example. Oh yeah. Like I just like, I'm not hungry during the day. I, I just like have no appetite. I don't know what to do. Right. And so like, what do you say to someone like that? Because that is their physical reality. That's the experience they're having. So I can't say, well, no, like you're actually hungry when they feel that they're not hungry. Right. Um, and so what happens is this particular client, she just won't eat because she doesn't feel her hunger cue. So what do we have to do? We have to retrain her body somehow to get that signaling response again. And that's going to look different for everyone. But for this particular individual, she found that if she skips breakfast, she will have no hunger cues the rest of the day. But if she eats breakfast, particularly a large hearty breakfast, right? Like I'm talking pancakes, sausage, fruit, like all the things people are like, wait, you're not just having a granola bar. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that helped resignal and help her get back in touch with her hunger cues. So that's just one example. Um, but yeah, any intuitive eating um, book or there's one called Nourish by Heidi Schauster, I believe. Um, I can send you the information. That's a good one. Yeah, it's just, it takes time. It's challenging. And, and we're blatantly stating here that the diet industry, and I'm saying this because it's even for my own head, the diet industry, the idea of one body type being correct and getting into that body type, like maybe you watch Beach Body On Demand and you like work out to that and you see all these tiny people with their perfect muscles and you know, that's not where we're all trying to be anymore. That's where we're trying to get away from and think more 
about how do we fuel these amazing bodies that we get to have to go out and live our lives in a way that's enjoyable with energy. And so I want to talk about the differences between men and women, because in the outdoor industry, you know, guys can actually, and I experience this with my guy all the time, we have breakfast and we do, we do that big breakfast every single weekend. And then we go out and we crush it. Right. And so we're hiking mountains, we're kayaking and he's like got an apple and he's fine. But I find that like, by the time we get down, I'm like feeling lightheaded and I'm a little bit cranky and I'm trying to eat more. And there's this thing in the back of my head, like, well, you know, you burned all these calories. It's good for like, you know, weight loss or something, you know? And it's like that stupid mentality. But I find that the guys can do that. They can just like eat a big breakfast, go all day, drink a beer at the end, have something to eat and they can get up and do it again. But like yesterday, we had the big breakfast. We went out, we were on the water. There was no time to eat. I had a granola bar. I had a light sandwich at like nine o'clock. And today I go to go skating and I just want to sleep. Yeah. Talk to me about like hormonally, how we're different. Like how do women need to fuel differently than men? Yes. So I love this question. (laughs) Also like it's such a, it's a bigger topic than just men and women too. Like this is how individual it is. Like, so even if you have like a group of female friends that you always hike with, you can't compare and be like, oh, we're going to have the exact same caloric metabolic needs because we're women. No, it's even more, more individualized than that. But there definitely is a big divide in the needs between men and women. And this does come down to hormones because men operate on a 24 hour hormone cycle right? So like, it's essentially just their testosterone. Obviously, they also have estrogen and other sex hormones, just smaller degrees than women have. Same thing for us. We have testosterone, just smaller degrees than men. And so their testosterone primarily is going on this 24-hour cycle. So it's predictable for them, meaning the same amount of calories every day for men is going to support that 24-hour cycle. For women, it's the complete opposite. (laughs) Not the complete opposite, It's just wildly extended. Our hormonal cycle is over the course of 28 to 34 days, depending on how long your menstrual cycle is. And I'm specifically talking about women that are truly menstruating and where um, a true period where ovulation takes place is not suppressed. So if you're on birth control, this still applies to you to an extent, but that hormonal cascade that happens over the course of a month is a little bit stagnated. So like typically, you know, our hormones are going like this and there's various hormones. So they're like all up and down like that. Our progesterone, estrogen, um, follicular, follicular stimulating hormone, FSH, luteinizing hormone. When we're on birth control, it's more of like a flat line. So it still applies to you, but not the same extent as to a woman that is actually menstruating. Um, so anyways, our hormones are going over the course of this month cycle and we have four specific categories of our menstrual cycle. So it's the first day is the day one of our menstruation of our true period. And that falls into our follicular phase. And then the next phase, so it's like menstruation, follicular phase, and then we have the next phase, which is ovulation, right? So it's like the release of the egg and either it gets fertilized or it doesn't, and we get our period. 
And so we have ovulation and then we have the luteal phase, right? And so in each of these phases, our basal metabolic rate is changing, our levels of stress are changing, our caloric needs are changing. When I say basal metabolic rate, that means the amount of calories you're burning just by sitting. And I mean, I'm actually burning calories right now because I use my hands when I talk. But I mean, like lying flat, doing literally nothing, no movement, how many calories are you burning? That will change throughout your cycle. And to go back to what I wanted to say about the 1200 calories, um, when I was in my clinical rotations in my internship, I would go in and I would interview these people that were in the hospital, right? They were admitted. And I remember interviewing this woman who was like, maybe she was 85, 90. And she couldn't be more than like 95, 100 pounds. Very, very frail, bones protruding. And we had to check for malnourishment. That's what dietitians do. Um, not the only thing they do, but one of the things they do in a hospital setting. And I remember her sitting there saying, I was like, oh, you know, like, how's the food? Are you eating it? She's like, oh, you know, I don't want to eat too much because I'm just sitting here all day. And I was like, wow, this is fascinating. And so I, I explained to her and I was like, wow, that's interesting. But did you know that like, you're actually burning around like, you know, 1400 calories, literally doing nothing because guess what? It requires calories for your heart to pump, for your lungs to expand and contract. This thing in here requires a lot of calories and energy. So people that are say, who are like so hyper fixated on calories and they're like, oh, like I'm going over my caloric limit. Like it's just such utter BS because like to exist requires so many calories. So if you have anyone like a health coach or um, a, like personal trainer who's like, yeah, yeah, you just really need to like restrict your calories to like 1200 or less per day. Like a child needs more than that. <laughs> so that's, that's a pet peeve of mine. But going back to this hormonal cycle, right? So our basal metabolic rate, it actually will decrease, meaning we are burning less calories at rest during that ovulation. So that follicular phase into ovulation. And so this is a great time to do more of like hit circuit training and high intensity interval stuff because you're ramping up and boosting your metabolism, not for the sake of losing weight, just for the sake of being energized. Then this is the golden ticket here. When we move into the luteal phase, which is two weeks, about two weeks before your next period starts, this is when our basal metabolic rate increases pretty significantly, meaning the amount of calories we burn at rest increases. So I am saying you literally need more calories those two weeks before your period. And guess what? This isn't actually news to anyone because you have cravings. Because you always find women being like, oh my God, my period must be coming. I'm so sorry. I just can't stop eating. Why are we apologizing for a metabolic necessity? <laughs> Our body literally needs more calories, right? So that's just one huge example. So of course a man, he's going to get away with like eating the same amount of calories. A woman, no, her calorie needs will literally change from not even just week to week, but we could argue like day to day, depending on where her hormones are. So um, great ways to get started with getting more in touch with where you're at in which cycle. Sorry, the lighting just like drastically changed. To my it's like, it's like sh shifting and waving. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just noticed on the camera is if you get a period app tracker, right? 
Um, and so you'll be able to see, you know, with time, it takes a while to understand and recognize your patterns, but you'll be able to see when you're ovulating. And, and even if you don't, even if you're not um, menstruating because you're on birth control, I think it would be really useful to start keeping a log of, oh, actually, like during this week, I noticed really increased uh, hunger levels, or I noticed energy dips. And so this is also goes back to the question before of how can women get started with being more intuitive about what their needs are? We're so dissociated with what we actually need. And, you know, in our society, we just push on, push on and really suppress our cues. So just by taking note and logging your experience and then looking back and recognizing patterns is a great first step at uh, recognizing what you need and then therefore being able to support yourself. But, but definitely getting um, a period tracking app and then you can see when you're in that luteal phase and give yourself permission. I give you permission. I don't know if that means anything, but like that's one person giving you permission to eat more before your period. So hiking or something. Yeah. So, okay. So take a day of hiking, take a day of activity. And most people don't want to carry a lot of food. So they're carrying those granola bars, you know, that kind of thing. What are they doing to their bodies? Right. When so, that whole day they're restricting themselves. Yeah. So anytime we have a restrictive period, it's typically going to be followed by a binging period. And that's because your body is trying to compensate from the lack of resources, right? And this is seen time and time again with eating disorders, right? Like bulimia, you typically um, will restrict and then you have a binging period and then you purge and then you restrict and you know, it's a cycle. But even if you don't have an eating disorder, the restriction binging pattern can happen. Um, so some examples, like even just personal story, I remember when I used to go to ballet auditions for like ballet summer camps and I wouldn't eat, I like can't even believe this. I like wouldn't eat anything for like the day before and the morning of, like <laughs> because I wanted my stomach to be flat because I was insecure about my body because it's the ballet world. So you have to be this big. And then I would come home and I would be so emotionally taxed, not only because it's stressful to audition, but because I had literally no nourishment in my body. And then I would binge. I would like eat a pizza. I would eat lots of ice cream. So that's one example. Other people do that. Like if they're going to go to oh, Thanksgiving is a great example. People are like, oh, I'm not going to eat anything for breakfast or lunch because I'm going to have this big dinner. I always tell people, no, eat the breakfast, eat the lunch, because then you will be binging and over consuming during the Thanksgiving meal, which is not beneficial because first of all, it's going to give you a stomach ache. It's going to make you fatigued and you can only absorb so much at once. Like we have a digestive capacity and you're going, pushing past that capacity. So when you are high, you're going on like a long hike, remember, remember your basic caloric needs. So if you were lying in bed all day, you'd be burning, you know, I don't have the exact number, but like more than a thousand calories, I can tell you that for sure. And also just depends on the individual. So you have those, those caloric needs baseline. Then you're going on a hike, depending on the intensity of it, depending on how long it is, you're going to have additional caloric needs for that. So we, we're thinking about our caloric needs, but then we're also thinking about the stress component. Hiking is wonderful. Um, and exercise, you know, I'm not demonizing exercise by saying that it's a stressor. Exercise is a form of controlled stress. So 
where we're stressing out our body just enough to actually reap some benefits later on. The problem is, is when we push past that capacity for our body and then we're overstressing it. That's when the detrimental effects start to come into play. So chronic health issues, hormonal imbalances, blood sugar instability, inflammation, fatigue, it goes on. All right, so we're hiking. We have additional stress because we're hiking. We have our baseline caloric needs and additional caloric needs because we're doing so much exercise and we're only eating a granola bar. <laughs> so there's like, there's nothing there, right? So that's also a form of restriction. So you're likely, it's likely going to be followed maybe with like a, a binging period where you're overeating the next day or because your hunger cues are so messed up, you're not overeating, but then you just continually undereat for the rest of the week. And then you find yourself very fatigued and you don't know what's up. And the thing about nutrition too, is it's not an acute, um, it doesn't have an acute effect. Meaning what, what you eat in a day, yes, it's going to influence you, but it's not going to have the most impact. The biggest impact nutrition has is this arc. It happens over a chronic period of time. So it's more long-term. And so when we are hiking, that's an acute moment, yes, but it still matters, right? Because it's going to impact the rest of the day. So if you're in this habit of always restricting, not eating enough, and then you go on a big hike with someone, you're perpetuating that chronic pattern. And then we start to see issues show up. So one example for women is just amenorrhea. So actually losing your period because you are undernourishing. Women have higher carbohydrate and higher fat needs than men. And what are the two things that we restrict most in diet culture? Yeah, I was so, like, maybe we should repeat that. Women have <laughs> higher carbohydrate and fat needs than men. So we actually need these. And that's for hormonal health, right? So that's one example of a chronic health issue that can show up for you. Um, we are also running into just micronutrient deficiencies because in order to, it's pretty easy to eat, to, to meet our macronutrient needs. And when I say macro, I mean our carbohydrates, protein, and fat. It's, it's easy. It doesn't always get done because, you know, if we restrict carbohydrates or avoid them rather, but the micronutrients, those are really the things that get disrupted when we are chronically undernourishing. And micronutrients are vitamins, minerals, all of these smaller nutrients that are packaged in foods. And so a granola bar, yeah, it's probably gonna have some oats, which is a great source of carbohydrates, maybe a little sugar, chocolate chips. Um, I don't know, maybe it has some pumpkin seeds in it, which is a little bit of fat and protein, small amounts. But is that gonna, if we're only eating that, are we likely meeting our micronutrient needs for the day? Are we getting enough magnesium? Are we getting enough zinc, vitamin A, D, C, E, all the things? No, it's impossible because one food group is not gonna meet all of our needs. That's why it's so important to have such a diversity and range of the things we eat. Um, and so another chronic health outcome is micronutrient deficiencies, right? So we see this in New England all the time, chronically low levels of vitamin D. We know that vitamin D is associated with so many things in the body, right? From immune health to energy, to hormonal health, to mental health. This is a huge passion of mine. So 
um, vitamin D levels being low is oftentimes associated with depression. Um, if we have really low magnesium levels, magnesium is hard to get because we get it from vegetables and things that have been grown in soil. And if our soil levels are depleted, which we know they are, we're not getting exposure to as much magnesium. And then on top of that, most people don't eat enough fruits and vegetables or these things that have that soil exposure. So magnesium is needed for over 300 different enzymatic functions in the body. It acts as a cofactor, meaning for in order for a process to be carried out, we need magnesium for it. So again, going back to the example, if we're hiking, we have lots of stress, we're under eating calorically, we're likely not meeting our macronutrients for the day, and we're likely not, I can't do numbers, we're like, likely not meeting our micronutrient levels for the day, and we do this repeatedly, then we're gonna have hormonal imbalances, we're gonna have fatigue, we're gonna have other susceptibilities to chronic health outcomes. And then, you know, there's the interplay of genetics there. So what are you predisposed to? Um, but that's actually called epigenetics, where your genetics are interacting with your environment. And when I say environment, I mean everything I just listed, stress levels, caloric needs, macronutrients, micronutrients. So if you're replete of all of these things, and then your genetics kick into gear, maybe you have diabetes that runs in your family. Maybe it's heart disease. You'll start to see these things showing up. So you know, that's an extreme example, but everything starts from undernourishment and being deplete of these essential nutrients. That was a long answer. <laughs> no, no, it was great. So talk about the emotional impact and the mental impact of when we're depleting our bodies, when we're thinking about losing weight or being uncomfortable in our bodies or like going with the diet industry or following like intermittent fasting and keto. And when we're undernourished, you know, what happens like in depression in our energy level? Because a lot of these sports, I mean, not for every woman, but I know for me, like I do extreme sports, I go kayaking and I've got to have this mental acuity to like go into this big rapid and like deal with my fear and the emotions. And then when you're hiking a mountain, it's pushing through, like there's a big mental aspect, a figure skate, huge mental aspect. So when we're also depleting and not fueling properly, what happens mentally to us? Well, the biggest thing straight away is that our brain's primary source of energy is glucose, period. It's sugar. The only other time you would not be utilizing glucose for your brain is if you are an epileptic child who's on a ketogenic diet or somebody who's on a ketogenic diet who's actually in true ketosis, which means you've switched over from utilizing glucose to using ketones, which are a byproduct of uh, extreme fat consumption. In that case, that's when your brain can use the ketones. And this is why it works for epilepsy, because for whatever reason, the glucose utilization in the brain is what is triggering the seizures. But when the children switch to utilizing ketones, it decreases the, the um, seizures. And so if we're not eating enough, especially if we're not eating enough carbohydrates, you're not going to have mental clarity. You're going to have brain fog because you literally do not have the raw materials needed for your brain to function, period. Then when we have um, depression and anxiety and things like that, 
that absolutely, and, and low energy levels in general can come from not having enough um, raw materials for energy production. But with the mood disorders like anxiety, depression, it's absolutely the undernourishing as well, right? So just like not having enough of that glucose for proper brain function. But with anxiety, depression in particular, it's more so the micronutrient deficiencies. So vitamin D, um, antioxidants like zinc, selenium, magnesium, huge. And so again, if we're just not eating enough, if you just ate some cereal for breakfast, granola bar for lunch, and then like a turkey burger and some broccoli for dinner, just making something up, are you likely getting all of the micronutrients you need for proper cog cognitive function? Probably not. Like that wasn't very much food. Um, so that's what's going on with that. That's awesome. Well, we could talk forever because there's so much wonderful information. Um, and I hope for everyone listening or watching this, that you start thinking about nutrition, your body, and eating in a very different light than what we've been taught from the media or what we've been taught from coaches or, you know, going and trying on clothes or whatever that has caused almost every single woman out there to believe that she should eat a little bit less. She should push her body a little bit more. I mean, that's kind of been society's thing lately. Like how far can a woman push herself? And then yeah. we're deemed crazy because we're stressed out and tired and having insomnia. And then we try to release it by going out and doing the things that we love. And so it sounds like so much of that can actually be changed with intuitive eating, with giving our bodies the break that they need during certain cycles and not being mad at ourselves because we're female and we can't constantly go because we don't have a 24 cycle. And if we could start playing with this and, and learning about this and changing this mindset, we'd be so much more superwomen than we're being told to be in a different way. Yeah. I mean, everything you listed, like we're expected to do all the things, right? Um, especially as like equality is, is such a hot thing right now. So sure. Yeah, great. I'm all for equality. But like if you're pushing yourself or you're living in any extreme, meaning you're going all the time, you're not sleeping enough, you're not eating enough, like you're living in an extreme state, you're going to have extreme outcomes. And that shows up as chronic health issues. Or another way to think about it is if you're living in an extreme way and you're working really hard at your job and you want to, you know, Marcy, you're such a great example. Like you work hard. You also do extreme outdoor sports. You could say it's an extreme lifestyle, but that can be balanced with extreme nourishment as well. Taking the time to rest, honoring when your body has reached its capacity, its digestive capacity, its energetic capacity, its hormonal capacity and pausing. Extreme nourishment, not being afraid to eat when you need to, not shaming yourself for having more caloric needs at during uh, specific times during your cycle, all those things. So when you take a step back and you look at it logically, you're like, oh my God, yeah, this makes so much sense. One extreme needs to be balanced out with another extreme, but it's really hard because of societal pressures and just what's been ingrained in our belief system. So having this conversation, it just needs to keep happening talk to your friends about it, see a yeah. practitioner. It's not going to be like, oh, 
I, I heard about it once and then I'm, I'm done. Like, no, it's, it's an ongoing process to heal. Um, for myself included, you know, like it, it never ends. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like we have to heal what women have been taught and told and pushed and, and we can only do that amongst ourselves. We can't ask outside. We can't ask an industry to change, but if we choose to change it, if we choose to change each individual themselves, like, Hey, maybe I shouldn't be on a restricted diet for my entire life starting at 12 years old because I started getting boobs and hips and I was a dancer. You know, maybe I should look at food as this wonderful thing that gets to taste good and I get to enjoy. So one last question before we go, because I hear this all the time, clean eating. Yeah. Like I eat clean. Oh, I didn't, I didn't eat clean today. Like, what are your thoughts on that? and where we should focus when it comes to our nourishment? That's a great question. I think that that can be a bridge to disordered eating, right? Because we are demonizing certain food groups and praising others, right? But the truth is, is that all food is good. Like there's no morals attached to food. Um, And so if you're so hyper fixated on like, oh, I ate cleanly today or I didn't, that's definitely going to be potentially leading into disordered eating. And not only that, it sets up this perpetual mindset around, I need to earn my food. So like, oh, I ate clean today. So that means I can indulge tomorrow and it's okay. Like I've earned having the donut or I went on a hike. So it's okay if I eat this pasta, you don't have to earn food. You deserve food every single day. Not only do you deserve it, you work Require it in order to function. So um, I think that definitely can be dangerous. Um, there was something else I wanted to say about that. Um, demonizing food groups. I've lost my train of thought, but That's okay. it can be dangerous. Oh, oh, this is this is what I wanted to say. Um, I think it's just more labeling used in media to perpetuate certain diet cultures. So, you know, with the clean eating, I think maybe this is my interpretation of it, but I would guess a lot of people would agree that that means like no sugars, maybe like not eat some eating something that's gluten-free, having celery juice <laughs> or whatever it is. Nothing white, nothing white. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That all the time. Um, and I think this is one of the questions that your interns had um, asked originally was what really just makes up a healthy diet and an unhealthy diet. So we don't need to be so specific and say like, oh, I ate clean or I didn't eat clean. Let's just focus on fundamentals. What are the fundamentals of a balanced, healthy, sustainable diet? As best you can, avoiding unprocessed foods and focusing on whole foods, right? So- Not avoiding unprocessed foods, avoiding processed foods. Yes. You had said unprocessed. I just wanted to make sure that we had the yeah. clarification. What I just said. Yes. <laughs> um, so avoiding processed foods and then really emphasizing and focusing on unprocessed foods. So, you know, you can decide what that looks like for you, but like literally whole, it's why there's a whole grocery store called Whole Foods. <laughs> whole Foods, a whole orange, a whole piece of broccoli, a whole piece of chicken, a whole piece of bacon. It's still a whole food, right? Or are we eating something that's 
been made in a, a, a factory or it's like mass produced. And not that I'm saying there isn't a time and a place for that. It just doesn't classify as a whole food. So the more we can focus on those whole unprocessed foods and minimizing unprocessed foods, great. That's one thing we can do. What's our fiber intake look like? Fiber is essentially the answer to everything. <laughs> I'm, not saying, like, I'm not saying go out and like go from eating five grams of fiber to eating 30 grams because there's some, you know, real gut digestive consequences of that. That's not what I'm saying. Work with a practitioner. But um, a lot of chronic diseases and uh, health issues stem from low fiber. And low fiber goes back to the first point of eating ultra processed foods because they're just deplete of fiber. And fiber is the thing that really supports that beneficial bacteria in our gut, which then has so many other positive secondary outcomes for immune health, mental health, all those things. So instead of, okay, well, that's not the end of the list. Water intake. How much water are you drinking? And then lastly, what is your mindset around food? Who are you eating it with? Uh, are you consuming um, stressful content like the news or social media that's triggering while you're eating? What's the relationship between you and the food and the environment that you're in? Focus on those things rather than focusing on, oh, I ate clean today or I didn't eat clean today. No. How many whole foods did I eat? How much color was on my plate? Oh, how much fiber did I have? Oh, I actually reached the goal and I drank double the amount of water I did yesterday. Those are the things that over time are going to support hormonal health, energetics, uh, just overall prevention of chronic health issues. Get rid of all the other BS with labels of like keto, intermittent fasting, clean eating, whatever it may be. Fundamentals will go a long way. This is awesome. Thank you so much. Now, if people wanted to find you, how can they find you? Yes. So um, if you want to find me, you can go to naturalcompounder.com forward slash Alora. Um, where you can book a consult with me or just get other contact information. I did just start an Instagram account finally. <laughs> so if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's state of mind nutrition. Um, there's not very much content yet, but I will, I'll get the more followers I have, the more motivation I'll have. <laughs> I will have both the links um, in the description uh, on the website. Thank you so much, Alora, for being on here. And remember, women, you belong in the outdoors. You belong doing all the things that you want to do. And you are supposed to eat. You do not need Yes, you don't need to be smaller. There's all sorts of beautiful body types in the world. You just need to feel your body so that you can go out and really enjoy this life that you have. Thanks again, Alora. Ah, stop recording. Thank you for joining us on this episode of E2T Adventures. Please go to our website, www.e2tadventures.com, and join the movement to make the outdoors more comfortable, safe, and enjoyable for all who identify as female. And remember, you have one life, one body, one playground earth. Go have an adventure.